You are now, now listening now. to Renaissance. 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 Welcome to the Renaissance Soul Podcast. I'm your host, Kelly K. Fresh Fraser. And for this episode, I'm joined by designer, photographer, illustrator, film director, fashion designer, Mario Khalif Butterfield, to talk about the branding and marketing history be- behind Detroit hip hop. We get into how he first found himself in the Detroit hip hop scene as a designer and photographer who he met, what he learned, and how he networked throughout the city. Once he got comfortable in his skills, he was able to help improve the visual aspects of Detroit hip-hop starting in the mid-90s and advocating that the full product is important to a music artist. Mario Butterfield has designed a vast amount of album covers for Detroit hip-hop artists under his own name and under the Skinny Boy Graphics Company that he started with Wajid. You've probably seen his work, and I have a bunch of examples in the show notes at freshthepodcast.com. He shared a lot of lessons he's learned about design and photography in this episode, and how he was able to implement it into all these Detroit classic hip-hop albums that we all love. You know, so many great stories are told in this episode uh, because Mario was around, and he observed a lot. So we get a nice historical take of Detroit hip-hop, from another perspective, from sort of a design, a marketing aspect. So after a word from our sponsor, we'll get into this interview with Mario Butterfield. All right, welcome to the Renaissance Soul Podcast, giving you another dose of Detroit music history. And my guest for this episode is a homie of mine, longtime friend, Mario Butterfield. Pretty much if you've uh, ever seen a Detroit hip-hop album, you if you've seen a lot of Detroit hip-hop albums at one point or many other times, he probably did the graphic design, maybe even the, the, the photography, something in those, in those album inserts, album covers or whatnot. He's, he's been a... You know, big graphic designer, photographer, all around kind of jack of all trades when it comes to the look, the branding, the marketing of Detroit hip hop for, shoot, 20, 25 years now. Yeah, we're old. (laughs) So let me, uh, let me introduce you to Mario Butterfield. How you doing today? Pretty good, man. Yeah. To, to add a little bit of clarity to that, we probably going back to uh 94 i want to say okay. safely when i first uh when i first dug my hands into it and um and got going it was real real lo-fi at that point but it, it still you know developed me as uh as a as an as an artist on the scene um yeah. that was like sort of a time when detroit was kind of going through this transition of you know there's that first wave of detroit hip-hop with um you know detroit's most wanted Detroit's Most Wanted, AWOL, uh, you know, Smiley, you know, there's a whole bunch, you know, Awesome Dre, and we're starting to see the seeds of all these other Detroit hip-hop artists that would soon to be, you know, 
this sort of global phenomenon, you know, you with the M&Ms, the D12s, the, you know, Slum Village, Dilla, yeah, you know, yeah. Danan and everything. So, you, you know, you, you were there kind of at the beginning of when, like, those little seeds were being planted. <clears throat> and what we're going to talk about today is sort of the the marketing and the branding of this weird thing called Detroit hip hop that doesn't have exactly one little thing to yeah. it. So let's like get into like, like your background and so, you know, extend more on like, you know, how you got into the scene. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, like I said, so around that time, like even with mentioning the, the, there's this new wave of Detroit hip hop around that time was, I would say the, emergence of that and that's kind of when i became uh kind of hip to it um and a lot of that is due to where i grew up where i lived at the time i lived uh on seven mile in greenfield so over there um fresh out of when i was when i was like at 13 in eighth grade maybe something like that uh at 13 years old i was uh working at um kingpin airbrush which was on the same uh, block segment that the hip hop shop later later would be on. Um, so I, w- I worked at Kingpin Airbrush only because I hung around there and became like a kid nuisance to the owner. So, you know, <laughs> isn't that I, how you know, got all your jobs? Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> like, really? <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hanging out up there every every day because I like art and airbrushing was like a big thing at that point. This is like 92, 93. Yeah. You know, airbrushing is everybody has it. You know what I mean? So um, he let me work up there, like sweeping and cleaning up, cleaning up the paints. And then he let me he would give me like scrap material and like let me airbrush. So I learned how to airbrush up there. And uh, from that, I started walking up and down Seven Mile and discovering these other situations. Um, when I ran into Strictly Sportswear, which I did like some of my first actual logo work with, um, with you know their their signs and stuff like that. Um, and then from there, there was a record store where I met uh, Riff from Twelve Tech Mob. I ended up um, yeah. you know meeting them, knowing them, stuff like that. That was the same time that the hip hop that I discovered the hip hop shop didn't discover it. Like I, I'm the founder or nothing, but that's the, that's when I stumbled upon it. You know yeah. what I mean? So I started, uh, I got my first wow of that space when I saw proof and it was like, you, I look, I get off the bus, I'm coming home from school, get off the bus. And I see this guy with these huge overalls on and some, some Timberlands and this <laughs> big messed up Afro dreadlock looking <laughs> thing. And, you know, you don't see stuff like that in Detroit. You know what I mean? In, in 94. Right. So I'm looking at something that looks like out of uh, 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 a write-on magazine or, uh, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Yo! MTV Raps profile or something like that. And, um, you know, I went to talk to him, and he explained to me what the, what, the, what the hip-hop shop was. Like, yeah, we're a clothing store, this and that, blah, blah, blah. And we, you know, we have open mics on Saturdays. At that point, I'm – a child who's uh who's rapping at the same time i'm i'll start rapping when i was 12 so i was already <laughs> kind of like thinking i'm the best rapper in the world because you got to think that because rap is all ego right right so um and then speaking of detroit's most wanted i was i was rapping like in in that area too you know like 
DJ Duncan Hines did cuts on like my first song, you know what okay. I mean? Which was, so I was, I was around like all of this weird stuff that I had no clue of. But when I met Proof and he told me about the, 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 the battle situation, like they rapped and they battled and stuff. Now he didn't tell me they battle. I asked him pretty cocky. Like, so y- y'all battle up here. He's like, yeah, we, you know, battle. So I was like, all right, I'm coming. Uh, be ready for me. So I'm calling out <laughs> Proof at 14 years old. Right. <laughs> so uh, the next week I go up there, uh, I tell my sister's homeboy about it. He's uh, five years older than me. So he was, and he was already kind of in the hip hop world. So he kind of knew who Proof was. He just didn't know that that's who I was talking about when I was explaining it. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go battle this dude, man, this dude, this one guy. Couldn't think, couldn't remember his name. So I went up there and, and uh, my sister's friend with, 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 went, uh, went with me. He's like, I'm going to go with you. So he go up there and... Uh, <laughs> You know, when it's my turn to rap, I'm rapping right at proof, battling. And it's not nothing like battling right now. It's just showing that you could really rap. So I'm just rapping at him. And my sister's homeboy, his name is Natural, stand, stands behind proofs. And he then he understands, like, oh, man, you're talking about proof. And he's, like, giving me the, the don't do it signals and stuff, like, stop. <laughs> and I'm just going and going. And then after I did that, proof rapped back at me my entire rap that I just rapped at him. Like he said, he like, he reversed it to go back at me, but mem- like memorized the entire rap wow. and wrapped it back to me. I saw so I was mind blown. And after that, the impression of that made me come around every day. So I started skipping school every day to go hang out at the shop. Right. Yeah. To, to the point where, um, I knew I had clip art programs on my computer so I had a computer and I had like these little clip art programs and I would also type um, flyers. So if you understand like homemade flyers, like DIY flyers, you're doing four up on a page in which you cut in quarters. Um, you get them copied at Kinko's or wherever and you cut them in, you know, quarters of uh, five and a half by four and a quarter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm doing flyers like that. But the way I was doing them is I would measure out on a sheet of paper my five and a half by four and a quarter and draw the picture of what I wanted the picture of the flyer to be and then type on a typewriter, the information. So I would draw the graffiti headline, draw the picture of the character or whatever, then type all the rest of the information, copy that three more times or four times and make it four up on a page to make a master copy and go from there. And I did that for one of the open mics at the shop that proof had me do. And he was like, oh, man, like, you can just do these. So I started doing hip-hop shop flyers for open mics, right? Yeah. And um, Jerome, uh, there's a guy, Jerome Mongo, who was the uh, manager at the shop, part owner. And uh, that was Maurice Malone's uh, partner. Um, I was hanging outside one day with Proofs, uh, and I'm sweeping. I don't even work there, right? So I'm just sweeping, talking <laughs> to Proof while he's standing out on seven on the outside of the shop. And Jerome comes up to me and Jerome, uh, he sees I'm sweeping, but he knows I I don't work there. So he asks Proof, he's like, man, who is this guy? (laughs) Right? Because he talked like that. Like, he's like, man, who is this guy? (laughs) So I've looked at him and I'm like, who are you? You know what I mean? Like, don't circle around me. Ask me who I am. So he started talking. uh, We started going back and forth at each other. I was real. I was real, man. I was adapted to this make believe hardcore life like 
in my mind, I was a thug. You know what I mean? But it was the <laughs> dumbest concept ever because I'm not a thug. So, But in my mind, that's what I was. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm just talking to him like I'm about to, like, punch him in the face. Whoa. And then he's like, he's, like, talking back to me the same way, but he's 10, however many years older than me, right? So at the end of the conversation, he's like, you want a job? <laughs> and, like, and just as aggressive, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I ended up working at the hip hop shop, man. And um, from there, uh, Proof introduced me to people, right? And so he's he's subconsciously showing me how to network. He's introducing me to people as the as, as the artist, the graphic designer, the you yep. know. So I'm like, oh, that's what you got to do. You know what I mean? So I'm kind of learning that this is what you have to do, right? So uh, I'm, I'm meeting new people, DJs who are doing mixtapes, uh, other people who might have uh, in, like little businesses and stuff so mm -hmm. I can do branding work for them. Yeah. Not even having an idea of what branding is, but I'm learning through just the ways of how it goes. And um, the one thing that really got me is I started doing these mixtape covers. Um, and people would bring me photos to scan in because, of course, you had to use a scanner back then. Yeah. You weren't, you weren't grabbing pictures off of Google Image. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. <laughs> I was telling somebody, like, my Google my Google search when I first started was a stack of magazines that I had to find pictures of women or whatever and scan them in at a very high resolution to try to reduce the dots and all kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Like, it was so much trickery in doing this stuff. But um, Yeah, I remember those days. Yeah, it was it was weird, man. Trials and tribulations, huh? Man, we made we made business cards the same way we made flyers, like uh draw the picture, mock it up, put it up. Uh at that time you could do thirty business cards on a on a on a page. Okay. Something like that. So we would towel them up and oh man, that was that was wild. That was wild. I got a lot of that um stuff later on in life, a couple years down, um, from Wajid. Cause we started, uh, we started a business, Skinny Boys Graphics. And, yeah, Skinny uh, Boys, yeah. Yeah, he he showed me a lot of stuff. Well, he he didn't purposely sit down and show me, but I would watch what he was doing and you know take notes because he's you know an amazing artist. But um, yeah, back to the thing, man. Like people would bring me photos for mixtape covers or you know album covers and things like that, or flyers even. The thing about it was the photos super sucked. Like the photos were the worst thing ever and they would make the design suck because the photos suck that bad. So that forced me into get, uh, to get into photography. Yeah. Cause I'm yeah. like, if I'm going to do design work, I'd need to make sure that my design work isn't compromised by the majority of it being a sucky photo. You know what I mean? So <laughs> I had to like pick up a camera and start like, you know, learning uh, photography at that time I was doing a lot of photography and stuff for, Proof and uh, T Stucky. Uh, I know you're familiar with that name. Yeah. T Stucky would have me come over almost all the time. I got pictures of him on my basement right now just to like take candid snapshots of him set in his life. Like just <laughs> sitting around talking on the phone. Like he'll, he'll be on the phone, like, hey, come get this picture. And at that time, my name was Dove. So uh, you can imagine like somebody like talking real tough, like, hey, Dove come get this picture <laughs> just doing the most basic regular stuff. So um, I got real into photography from there. 
And then after that, after it felt like I was confident and being able to produce a finished product that looked good, the thing that really sparked at that point was um, it, in the hip hop shop, you're looking around. So let's say on a, on a Saturday open mic, um, you look around and you see all these different rappers and producers, a couple singers. There was a, a guy named Epod at the time, who's one of the best producers ever out of Detroit who would be in there with a trumpet just or whatever. You know what I mean? It's like, dude, like this place is like a circus. You know what I mean? So you look around. Well, I look, I'm looking around and I'm seeing all these different um, areas and corners of talent. And what I do is so separate. Like I, I was trying to rap, you know, I was trying to do music and stuff like that, but that wasn't really where my actual set, like mine was at. That's, that's yeah. not where I was at. Um, so I'm looking at myself like, man, like I'm kind of separate. You know, like everybody's doing something audio wise. Everybody has a sonic mission. You know what I mean? I'm kind of separate when it comes to what I want to do. And when you listen to stuff like the first, some of the first stuff I heard was like, uh, like five Ella, um, yeah. out of that, you know, out of that area, uh, five Ella IQ, um, bugs. Um, you know what I'm, so I'm, I'm hearing some of the best rap to this day that you will ever hear. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the thing that made me kind of feel like this is my mission is because the, the, the packaging didn't match the sound. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the sound was real good. And it's like, Oh man, like this is, this is good. This deserves a chance, but I know the consumer won't give it a chance if it doesn't look presentable. Yeah, dude, there is some there is some Detroit stuff that I passed on because of the packaging that mm -hmm. I would later regret. <laughs> right, right, exactly, man. I'd be like, I oh, man, I saw that tape at record time, dog. What? Oh, man. Yep. I mean, nowadays it doesn't matter as much. Uh, I think Kanye broke a lot of the rules with that stuff. <laughs> yeah, th there was like this weird like the meme culture went into uh to like packaging for music and you're getting like sort of album covers that look like memes. Right, right. Yeah. Right now it's just a photo. It's not design anymore. It's it's just a photo. And um a lot of times the photo doesn't have to have text on it. Yeah. There's there, there there's not a requirement for wording. It can just be a photo and a parental advisory um label and that's it and that's a cover you know what i mean so it's like so much less work put into it um but the just like everything else the market is so saturated with people who have the ability to do it easier yeah yeah um, the everyday consumer you know like um it's funny like when you say back you know that you were forced to get into photography like i remember when i even started writing you know for uh, real detroit Mm -hmm. Nobody had good photos for print. So yeah. I had to learn how to even just use like a point and shoot, you know, to, to actually have photos to go with my stories. Yeah. Def <laughs> yeah, definitely. That's uh... Nobody had photos back then they, that you could use for print. Man, those were some good days, man. <laughs> Jeremy, Jeremy, uh, he had, he had me, uh, he had me sidekick a, a few times, man. Like, you know, jobs he couldn't make cover, cover photos and stuff. Right. And I used to be so excited. He'll call me like, Hey man, can you do this cover? I'm like, Yes. <laughs> you know, I'm like, Yes, I get to do a cover. So uh, yeah, so see another yeah, Jeremy, like he does it all too. Like you kind of like you 
you're always forced to do something else when you start doing mm. one thing, you know, when it comes to like the visuals and everything in, in like the music scene, especially here, because it was just like, I remember back then, you know, you would ask for a picture and they would send you some low resolution thing that they had posted on MySpace or something. Yeah. Oh, so sucky, man. I learned, <laughs> uh, so, so the, so the, even with that, like the, there's certain things that you just automatically know as an artist, not not just graphic designer, but as an artist. So there's uh there's some low resolution photos that I've I've actually turned into high resolution photos through um, re repainting or re airbrushing those areas and redefining lines. Yeah. Um, if it's if it's that necessary to make it new again, you know what I mean. Or so I just, or I just made the whole thing into a, like a lot of effects, mm-hmm. just to hide that it was a low resolution. Or just make it lower resolution. Yeah. You know, like kind of go with the flow. Like you know, you can't bite, you can't go against the grain on something that's that effed up. You know what I mean? Just make it what it is. It's or make it a part up. of the thing. Like I don't know. Yep. Yeah. You, Show more pixels. You can do that. Like if you if you if you lay text over it, like pixelize the text. You know, like <laughs> right. make that low resolution. Make it all. A, a thing but so yeah, when man. so when you're at this point when you're like seeing all this talent from detroit and but you're not seeing that their packaging is representation like isn't representing the level that you're hearing from these uh from these artists you know what you're thinking at the time you know what did you want to contribute to the scene that i mean that pretty much is it like i um i felt that i felt protective you know what I mean? Like I felt real protective of uh, what's what's capable, the potential of what can come out of Detroit. So I felt like I need to protect that. You know what I mean? And I felt like I would be doing a disservice if I didn't contribute the visual part to the whole game. And I had to insert myself real strong right there and say, hey, I can get real close to these industry quality covers. You know, I used to, that's what my ads used to say. When I would post ads, they would say industry quality CD covers, industry quality cassette covers, um, because that was the whole thing, industry quality. Like, um, I tried to get people to think to think against local, um, yeah. because that's that's what it will end up being if they, if, if they accept themselves as that. And to understand that in a business – well, with a with a self-contained like if I was a if I was an artist, right, um, music artist, I know how to break down elements of myself to make that uh, an all-inclusive business to where I know which part of me should reach out this way to grab a marketing um, department, which part of me should do this for numbers, or, yeah, you know. Um, but extending myself, like not trying to do it myself, you know yeah. what I mean? Because there's help. You know, and when when you don't realize the help around you and you try to do it all yourself, it's just like with anything else, like you're going to collapse the boat. You know what I mean? Like you need help. You're going to make yourself tired and sick. You're not going to be able to focus on what you actually should be doing. Yeah. There's people that do photography. Let them do that. You know what I mean? Like, don't you can't do everything. And I've watched I watch that so much. So, um, you know, like like I said, like a business, like a business won't have the CEO uh, cleaning the bathrooms. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, right, right. There's help for that. You got to find out how to outsource all of what you what you need. Um, and this is during a time when 
in the in the hip hop industry, you're, you're having all these iconic album covers. You know, there's there's countless ones that you just you can see from you know a hundred miles away or hundred yeah. yards away, and you would know what that is. You know, Mecca yeah. and the Soul Brother, Hard to Earn. You know, there's all these tons of these you know iconic album covers. You know, and like the stuff that's coming out of Detroit was like yo, definitely behind the times. Super behind the times, man. That's um later like like way later on. That's why what you just mentioned. I thought one of the most iconic album covers ever to me is uh is is Rage, uh Evil Empire, which is the reason why I did the Danny Brown hot soup exactly I was like, man, this I wanna I wanna make this feeling. You know what I mean? So yeah. That's what hot soup is. And that was like the reason, because I'm like, I know what that is from the other side of the football field. I know exactly <laughs> yeah. what that cover is. And that's why I wanted to do the the Danny Brown one like uh, like that. But yeah, man, like there's um, even with, uh, and that's not just limited to, to album covers, but I try to explain that to people with uh, with branding too. So their brand yeah. identity, their logo design, I, I, I mentioned to people like, man, like, do you, you understand this can't have a man standing in a b-boy stance with a with shell toes on with four finger ring and all this weird stuff on because once you take that down to the size of a dime you're not going to know what it is yeah 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 so and there's and, a lot of those in detroit <laughs> and it's so it's all of those like it's so many even like i said like the the 12 tech mob uh, logo that i did the <laughs> i did their first logo and it was pretty much that it was yeah. like the the needle was like it was like a, a a cartridge and needle, but it was made like a snake or something coming out of it was like too much stuff happening. But you know, down the line I learned I did um one of the things that helped me with that a lot, like a whole lot, is I presented probably ten different logo concepts to Carl Craig for um his subsidiary um imprint antidote at the time. So antidote, he had a couple artists like uh, he had Tarak and Big Tone and a couple other people, but it was like his hip hop label yeah. from uh, Planet E, you know. And uh, when I did his antidote logo, I brought him like all these mind blowing, super oh, this is the best thing in the world, right? And I bring him all these designs, and he was like, "Yeah, man, I just I just needed to be a real, like a real simple A that stands out." And I was like, "Yeah, okay." So I brought him back this A that was made out of like three bubbles. <laughs> and I brought him that. He's like, that's perfect. And he paid me $1,500 for it. And you know what I'm saying? Like right now trying to get $1,500 for a logo is like, yeah, that's in, <laughs> like, it's hard to get a, it, it's truthfully hard to get $150 for, for, for logo work, man. Like it's pulling teeth. It's the most ridiculous thing to explain to people the importance of their brand and why you know what were you trying to um at this time trying to explain to all these detroit hip-hop artists about making something that can be easily remembered like that brand something a little bit more simple than the you know b-boy stance boy you know (laughs) well one thing i try to I, i always explain to people when it comes to branding is uh, a lot of the tasteful things are only tasteful because they're trendy and trends play out. So, you know, when you act towards a trend, you're giving yourself a life, a life limit at that point. You know what I mean? So you're allowing yourself to only survive while that trend exists. 
like right now, if I was to do um, a logo or cover design of a character with skinny jeans on, for instance, you know what I mean? Like, no, I wouldn't do that. Like that's, that doesn't, that's not real when it comes to something that's right. That's supposed to hold longevity. That's not going to work. Um, so, I, you know, I, I try to like advise people all the time, like true enough, I can get, I can really do whatever people want. Um, if, you know, if I, if I didn't care, so people can come to me all day and be like, Hey, yeah, I want this. I want this guy with, you know, his AirPods and his, his AirPods and his ear and skinny jeans on and this and that. And I'm like, Oh yeah, I can do that. You know what I mean? But because I care and I can't help, I can't stop myself from caring. I have <laughs> to talk to people about this stuff all the time. Like, do you really want to do that? And circle around and give them other alternatives because I know where, where that leads. And that's, you know, that leads, that that's, that's a shortness of life pretty much, man. Like you can't, can't build a brand around a trend. Um, and a lot of the stuff that I try to like explain to people with the, the album cover work is it needs to look like I, I'm not going to design a cover ever. Like you can look in the history of my catalog. I'm never going to design a cover that doesn't look how the album sounds. Yeah. 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 So that's the most important part. You know what I mean? And you know, sometimes people will come to me and they aren't, you know, being a little judgmental they aren't the best musicians or artists and i cheat and make the cover look a little better than what the music sounds. <laughs> 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 but yeah man um right you don't want your you don't want your name to be like yo that's shit's whack right and it has it, it i feel like that's the that's the i feel like that's the dopest part and there's if you were ever to see the the behind the scenes uh work in progress of how I do stuff, you'll see a couple visits trashed because it doesn't mesh. You know what I mean? It doesn't, it doesn't match up to the the sound of it. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, that happens a lot. And it's, it's like, ah, then I got to sit down and listen to the album. And right. a lot of times I suggest people send me like three to five songs off of like three, three to five of their favorite songs off of this album. I don't want to listen to the whole album all the time. Yeah. Not to, not to, you know, just the sound or whatever, but I don't want to have to commit myself to sitting down for an hour just to get a, you know, catch a vibe on doing a cover. So I just play a couple songs while I'm, while I'm designing it a lot of times and it automatically kind of bleeds into the, the mood of what I'm doing. It's kind of like with anything else. If you set the mood, you're going to reflect the mood. So, you know, going back to, you know, like the mid nineties when, you were first getting your feet wet into the Detroit scene. Um, you know, you're, you're over at the hip-hop shop. Um, you're seeing this just zoo of artists, you know, people that would, you know, become mainstays in hip-hop later on. You know, there's all these different characters, different sounds or whatnot. Detroit doesn't necessarily have that sound, like the West Coast sound, the Oakland mm -hmm. sound, the New York sound, the Down South sound. We have our own kind of thing, you know. How do you yeah. sort of you know, brand like hip hop like that, you know, when you're getting all these different types of vibes, you know, when you just, like you just said, you know, you want to, to make these covers, these artworks that really vibe with the music, you know, how do you sort of like 
keep that open-mindedness and that, and that sort of creativity when there isn't like a dedicated sound like a, yeah a dedicated sound to it all um yeah it's it's I don't, I don't i really don't know man i guess that's a i guess that's almost a gift because it's it, at that point it becomes like a chameleon talent um where you have to be able to adapt to all these people and uh you don't get a chance to necessarily have a signature look so at that point you kind of as an artist you compromise having a signature look to be able to cater to all of these different things if i was to have a signature look of course doing something like that a lot of the music would need to be kind of similar like um like how you mentioned like uh like the the west coast east coast stuff like that's Detroit is kind of a, 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 a pot of gumbo, man. Like it's all over the place with, with the sound. Like yeah. you can get, you can get some real grimy stuff. You can get some real polished, clean stuff. You can get, you you know, it was a certain point in time where you could get something that's almost sounded Southern. Like you can get you can <laughs> right, get right. a lot of different things, real soulful stuff. So it's a, uh, yeah, that's, that's something, man. I don't, I honestly don't even know how to answer that, man. I guess you just, uh, step out of your body and uh, <laughs> try to try to mesh with whatever that artist is. And, and how do you feel them. like how do you feel like Detroit artists were, you know, able to sort of gain any sort of popularity when they don't you don't have that sort of you know basis of a sound to sort of go go after when you see like the East Coast, the West Coast, down South, whatever, being able to like ride on a little bit of a formula but detroit really doesn't have that you know how do you feel like you know detroit was able to sort of brand themselves individually to be able to become what what it's become um time i don't feel like they were able to that and that's what that's what seemingly took so long you know what i mean because it's a it's a game of patience at that point because it's not going to happen immediately cuz there's nothing really uh identifiable about it for people to be excited about it you know what i mean um people on the outside looking in it's just like awkward music you know what i mean like it's real real awkward and then at the same time uh we aren't always extending ourselves to be receptive to feedback so we don't always know what what people are liking when on the other end of the fence there's somebody in Mississippi playing, uh, you know, who big Herc the whole time. We just <laughs> never knew it. You know what I mean? Because right. we aren't extending ourselves to be, uh, be able to take this type of information back in. Why so do you think that was so on- like, why do you think there was such like apprehension to like really extend themselves out beyond local for a while? Cause we're, <clears throat> We don't politic, you know. There was a there was a lot a uh, a uh, uh, time where we didn't really uh, politic with too many situations outside of us. So we're kind of like, all we got is us. We we stick together. You know, we don't have to reach out. Um, and we we talked about this uh, on our phone conversation when I was just talking. We were talking about the the United States um, and the the art of travel. Yeah, uh, like yeah. Explain that again, because that was very, very that was very interesting. Yeah, so this came up. This came up in a conversation with uh, Maurice Malone and myself back when I was a teenager, and it was just talking about the separation of Detroit. So being 
um, being in Michigan and having a full protection of uh, a body of water, Great Lakes, you can, versus everywhere else, you can um, mistakenly travel from point A to point B anywhere in the country and go through other parts. So coming, even coming from uh, Detroit, going to Atlanta, you go through uh, all these places, Tennessee, whatever, wherever, you know what I mean? So you experience, even if you don't stay there, just going through there, you get some type of a, an experience of it. So you're kind of more adjusted to it. You know what I mean? Um, but you can't do the same thing going through, you can't just go through Detroit. So going to Detroit, you have to go there purposely on a regular travel or regular just maneuvering around. So I feel like every other place gets more of a, of an opportunity because they're more, you know, people are more receptive to other places because they get a chance to experience them. So it's not such a, uh, an awkward taste when they, when they do get it, you know what I mean? Because they're already kind of okay with it because they've experienced something about it, whether it was the accent, whether it's how the lady treated you at the cracker barrel or, you know, like whatever it is, yeah. you get an idea of how this place maneuvers, you know, like there are certain places where you, you go to out, you know, us, we go to Alabama. We're like, Oh, we got to hurry up and get out of here. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> right. We got an understanding of how people, how you get treated there or, you know, um, you don't get that in Detroit. So when people come to Detroit, they're there on purpose, which is pretty awkward. So it's at that, at that, in that breath, it's also just as hard for a city like Detroit to be discovered because you have to purposely go there. You're not mistakenly going through there. You don't trip over it. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Um, so that lessens the chance of the discovery part. So when it comes to like all these undiscovered talents and stuff, it's because people aren't really checking for Detroit because it's nothing that people have a taste for. You know what I mean? Like until you, uh, until you decide that, Hey, we got to get aggressive and we have to take Detroit to these places, which only happened, you know, a lot of times on special occasions, which were uh, Jack, the rappers um, impact uh, conferences, uh, freak Nick, um, you know, like, it had to be a reason. Like people yeah. weren't just openly going and taking Detroit places. They had to go party with some place in order to do it. So, you know, it made the it made I guess the hustle of moving music around kind of laxed. You know what I mean? Because we 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 always waited till there was a special reason to do so instead of just aggressively doing it. And then I believe after small taste of uh things happen and if you look at the track record of you know some of those tastes um so we'll talk about like eminem or slum village or or royce or all, all of that stuff kind of happened out of the city you know uh, yeah yeah <laughs> through, through chain of events you know it's like out of the city like uh q-tip hears about um slum at Lollapalooza, or dre hears about um in california or you know like but it had to be kind of like pushed in those directions so it's still not necessarily saying this person was here in uh detroit experiencing this we had to kind of push it out to them 
Um, but you can you can go to and and it has I, f- I feel like it has a lot to do with radio too. Um, at those times, like we weren't really, still aren't the most supportive <laughs> to ourselves. <laughs> You know, but you and you, you know, right. that's been that's been a big complaint for for decades, man. You go any place else, you go to Miami, wherever you go, you're gonna hear that music, and that's all you're gonna hear. Man, I remember going. I remember when I was, um, I was a family vacation. Actually, there's two family vacations we went. One time we went to Hawaii. Another time we went to um, to Las Vegas. Las Vegas was probably '98. I remember How old were you when you went to Hawaii and Las Vegas. How old were you when you, when, oh, you, when you went to? Hawaii? I was I was I was underage, so I really couldn't really like. You, on, you, you were just a, a part of the family. You weren't. It wasn't for you. No, it wasn't. I remember <laughs> when we were in Hawaii though, because that was the day that um that Slim Shady LP came out. So we were out there in February of '99, and um, but the funny thing was when we were out in both uh, Hawaii and Las Vegas, their radio stations were playing local music. Like to to yeah. um, to the amount where I could tell that they were playing local music, like only being there a couple of days and hearing it multiple times that they were playing local artists. Yeah, and you know that's uh, I think that's something that spreads too. So in the same breath, where Detroit doesn't experience other places, we never knew that that's what you were supposed to do because <laughs> we. We aren't, you know, picking up the hints from these other places because we don't experience these other places. But um, right, yeah that 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 album was a big turn of my 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 stomach, man. That uh, the Slim Shady joint. He um he t- he told me we were in St. Andrews and uh, you know, as soon as you walk in Drews past the security, like the corridor, the corridor yeah. part. Yeah, we're we're stand the lobby. We're standing right there. And uh, he had just got back to Detroit from going out to Cali to meet Dre and have the meeting and all that stuff. And he comes back and I see him. And he's like, I'm like, yo. And he's like, duh. And I'm like, he's like, man, you still do uh, design. I'm like, yeah. And this is the part where I can like load a gun and like blast myself. But he's like, um, he's like, yo, I need two logos. I need one for Slim Shady, one that says Slim Shady, and one that says Shady Records. And I'm so used to, so I'm resistant against anybody telling me we're going real far and we're taking you with us, right? Yeah. Or or you're going to blow up because we're taking you with us. I'm real resistant against that at this point because that's all I was getting from everybody, right? Oh, yo, that... Oh, that time. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of that going on. Yeah. And I fought against it so hard, man. So when he tells me this and he actually gave me a mailing address to a lady to mail the drafts to. Yeah. Because we weren't emailing at that time. (laughs) So so he gives me a mailing address. and He's like, when you finish them, send them here. And it was a California address to the one of the ladies over there. And um I just never did it. And then the next thing I know, I'm watching Hi My Name Is video and it's like ah, uh, that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I just never did it, man. But and that was, you know, that was the whole like I said, man, I was I, I've been so resistant against putting so much effort into somebody's uh dream. Yeah. Cuz it's like, man, like no, man, I've heard this story. I can tell you. I can 
I can say this story while you're telling me, like, I can tell you exactly what you're about to tell me. Like <laughs> I've heard it that many times. So I, I just fought against it every time I heard it, man. And that was like one of the bigger disappointments of it. What were some of your, you know, favorite designs that you ever did for Detroit hip hop? Uh, big Herc, um, guilty as charge cover. Oh man, that was so good. Um, it was good because I stole a camera from uh from my job I was working at at the time. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I stole it. It was a medium format. Um, I stole that and uh, used it to shoot the the photos. And um, I did a double exposure photo. It wasn't design edited. It was in camera double exposure where I used a, a filter card to block off half of it, shot the other one with another filter card, and it came together perfectly. And I, I didn't have to do any real design work to it to make it look like a double exposure. Oh, nice. Basically, it's him walking around a corner of a corner of a liquor store, and then it's him on the other side of the wall of the liquor store about to rob himself. Um, yeah, I was yeah. very happy with that. That one... Um, Black Milk Popular Demand was one of my favorites too. That's a good uh, one. Simply because I didn't, I had fabricated this whole concept of, yeah, I can make, I'll make them a tour bus and I'll put a tour bus and it'll be wrapped with black milk and all this stuff. But that was me doing my used car sales pitch where I'm just making up stuff and just saying it just so I can get the job. So, <laughs> <laughs> right. Even though black has black the whole time and was very loyal to working with me. So since his first uh, project sound of the city, which I was also real happy to do because his sound was so good. And we just came off of the D 12 world tour. This was 2004. And uh, we came off of that tour. Me and black were on that same tour together as a uh, slum village. Uh, we were roadies with slum village and I did their, uh, their images their visuals for their shows so when we came off of that tour um at that time he he was uh black milk br gunna it was yeah he was juggling in between <clears throat> but um we came off of that tour and he was like yo i want to do a i want to do an album and you know can you help me out with the cover and i'm like yeah definitely like your music is awesome so <laughs> we did that and then you know five covers down the line or whatever we just rolled the whole way you know what i mean and every time it's like the tronic the album of the year the popular like everything he's like yo i got another one i got another one and the thing that was like exciting about doing all of black's covers were my favorites actually i'll just say that oh yeah they're all good the thing that was exciting about doing work with black milk is um a lot of people who can vouch for this he's hands down the most progressive artists out of the city. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I will agree with that. Yeah, everything was better than the last. Like he he learns more, he does more, he experiments. Like, but and each one is going to be a whole different avenue. You know what I mean of music, and you can tell, and it, it makes the it makes the artwork that much more exciting because you know we go from sound of the city to um, to uh, popular demand. And you know it's a it's a different sound. It's bigger. He's more he's more comfortable with it. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. we can make it more bigger, which we did. Popular demand is a is a is a cocky title. So you know we got paparazzi's on there, the tour bus, <laughs> and all that stuff. And 
made it all it can be. Then, you know, we go to Tronic and it's like, dude, this is electric. So now we're dealing with a hologram cover and we're like, you know, but it's the concept of making it match. Um, uh, Album of the year, he cleaned up a whole lot. It got real, you know, it's a lot older. You know what I mean? Like he's, he's more mature with it, you know? And the cover is just as simple just to say 365. Like it's it's doesn't need anything because it's already it's kind of already proven. Like and you know he's done enough to prove that he knows what he's doing and he matured with it. The cover moved along with that yeah. and it all made sense, man. Um, so yeah, all of his covers have been like my my favorites, man. Um, geez, man, there's it's it's so many, man. I don't. I've done so many album covers. Like, <laughs> I know, dude. <laughs> we all know. <laughs> yeah, man. Like so many, man. Um, the, I think the the, what am I saying here? The uh, the the Slum Village. They're one of their last ones with Batan. This. This is way after the fact of a lot of Slum Village stuff, but um, the Villa Manifesto album, um, I felt I, I felt real attached to that, even though it, I don't feel like visually it's my best work by far. Yeah. But just the importance of it, I felt real attached to because that was the last time uh, the cover had been pitched to a couple people and stuff. But and I didn't want it to look. I didn't want it to be bad, or n- not even bad, but not slum. I didn't want it to be anything that wasn't representative of slum. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So, because it was like to me, I'm like, this is Batan. Batan's on here. You know what I mean? And that was real important to me. So I'm like, Batan is on here. He he can't. He has to go out with class. You know what I mean? Like this is the possibly the last time people will hear him on a slum village album. So it has to be classy. And I tried to like do you know, something real classy. There's a tiled image. I've made like a pattern, almost like a Louis Vuitton kind of thing. And I tried to like, you know, put class in it, man. Cause I'm like, this whole cover is because of Batin. That's the only reason, you know, I wanted to control doing it and I didn't want anybody else doing it because I didn't trust it. Yeah. So I, you know, I really held that one close. Um, the Danny Brown cover, man, um, because of the story of it, yeah, the 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 hot soup album, solely because of the story of it, man. We went through a lot of stuff with that. Um, we actually set up an assembly line at Nick Speed's crib, man, and and put all of those CDs together too. Um, yeah, yeah, I was around during those times, like helping yeah. out with other things. Yeah, man. So that was that was a fun one, and just just knowing Danny and knowing his story made me more. Uh, excited about working with him at the time because you know just seeing like you know I go pick him up at, at his house and I you know got to come in and wait on him to get dressed and stuff and watching his relationship between him and his moms and like just how everything worked it was just like ah dude this is crazy man like you live a different life <laughs> right like, exactly like, like it doesn't take it, it, it did not take that long to realize that that dude was like totally different yeah than anybody else that we know in the city it's it's crazy man and um you know like stuff like that you uh as an artist working on working with 
an artist, I get to use that um, and put it into what I'm what I'm doing for them. You know what I mean? Um, one of the more recent covers that I did was for T3, Mr. Fantastic, that I felt at, when I did that one, I honestly felt like I ran out of the juice, you know, because I'm like, what else do you do? Like, because like I like I said, like now covers are just uh, photos. Sometimes they got text on them. Sometimes they don't. But right. it's that simple. So it's like in my mind, I'm like, what do I do? You know, so I picked up uh, a canvas and painted uh, a cover. You know what I mean? So I'm like. Oh, I forgot. I know how to paint, <laughs> you know? So I was like, I can paint, I can paint a portrait and I paint it, but that took me someplace else where I felt like I was forced to go. So like, um, you've kind of mentioned this a couple of times where like the, the artist as a person really lent to your side of things, working on their album covers. Like how important is it for the, the artists themselves to sort of open up a little bit to their team to be able to accurately, you know, make these visuals that represent the music that they're making. Well, I think that's important all, all around. It's not even, I don't even think it's a, it's an artist or a creative thing. I just think working with a team period, you want to develop trust. You know what I mean? And opening up is, uh, that's a trust component. You know what I mean? So, once you do that, I feel like it's automatically, um, I automatically feed off of that and I can, you know, if, 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 if I'm able to know you, then I don't have to try as hard. I don't have to try to figure it out. It's given to me so yeah. I can just exhale whatever I just inhaled. You know what I mean? And give it, you know, push it right back out versus trying to figure it out and trying to dig and, <laughs> you know, you people can make it complicated for people or you know, you can actually like get inside and, and, you know, like ironically, man. Um, well not ironically, but yeah, I, I have, uh, I have personal friendships with pretty much all of whoever I've done work for, like, you know, like pick up the phone and call and talk about Thanksgiving, you know what <laughs> I mean? Like just regular stuff with all of the people I've done work for. And that's because, um, I don't just treat it as, well, yeah, send me uh, send me two photos and I'll have your cover tomorrow. I can't treat it like that. You know what I mean? I, I can't treat it. So people are in, involved in my process. And in turn, I guess that develops trust because I'm letting them inside. You know what I mean? So they probably show trust back and then it just keeps on building together. Yeah. And it becomes a thing. But yeah, like I, I have great friendships with like all of them. And like I told you, like uh, I get a random text or I might text or, you know, like from payroll or whoever, like (laughs) how's everything over there? You know what I mean? Just a regular, normal human question. You know what I mean? Like y'all all all right? Stuff like that, you know, (laughs) like, or, uh, you know, it's, it's crazy. Like, well, it's not crazy. It's what's it's how it's supposed to be. Like, yeah, it's how it's supposed to be. Um, yeah. You know, the music stuff kind of brings us together, but it's other things that, like, you know, develop friendships. Yep. Yep, yep. So, yeah, like, um, a bit, you know, a thing about Detroit, you know, has been 
like the fashion of Detroit. You know, East Side and the West Side has their own little, you know, unique looks. You know, Maurice Malone was a part of, you know, was, uh, you know, brought out the hip hop shop. You know, how did sort of the fashion of Detroit lend itself to the look of hip hop that's, you know, would come out of Detroit and like they would, you know, represent these artists worldwide? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. You hear, you hear different stories. You hear, I've heard stories that, uh, I've heard stories back in the mid nineties that earlier nineties, that the whole Coogee sweater thing came from Detroit. So (laughs) people come here and they pick up little things and they take it with them. I've heard stories about, uh, and it kind of, that kind of lends itself to the, the traveling thing where, you know, you go, you, you go to Detroit, but like your people are not going to stumble upon it. So you can go to Detroit and kind of lift some things and no one's really going to stumble upon Detroit. Kind of. And because Detroit doesn't, <laughs> didn't move around like that. Nobody would ever know that it, it was originated in Detroit. Nobody, <laughs> right. here, nobody is, nobody here is, uh, there's no internet that. or social media back then. Yeah, yeah. So nobody's like calling anybody out. <laughs> Kind of, man. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird thing. I mean, it's some uh, one thing that I do like, man, is the I really enjoy the flashiness of Detroit. The 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 Cardis and the you know everybody has a Rolex and stuff. And right, I I really like that because um, through fashion and through possessions, it shows the 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 mentality. It shows what these people are thinking, which is. I don't care if you have five chains and a Rolex, like me and my whole crew got five chains and a Rolex. So what are you saying? And that's the concept of Detroit. Like they don't care that much. Um, They don't care what you got. They don't care how much money you got because the average person has just as much money. You know what I mean? The average person just next door probably has the same amount of money that, uh, little bootsy or whoever is holding up on their Instagram picture, you know, so it doesn't really mean any, it's hard to impress somebody from Detroit because they have it. They just aren't publicized with it as much as, you know, some people. So you can't really get to them. And uh, I like that part of it. And that's reflected real heavy through fashion and possessions. Um, yeah. I, I, I love that, man. That's, that's, that's one of my things. Like even Right now, watching the the whole uh, Cartier thing happen, um, where everybody has like a pair of Cardis, like everybody, like you look at Floyd Mayweather or yeah, uh, all these basketball players, whoever, and they all have them. And you want to know the best thing about that is, if you rewind back to the speaking of album covers, this one I didn't do, but I like it. If you rewind back to the Slum Village Trinity cover and look at Baten's face and the glasses he's wearing back in 2001? Uh, that was 2002, 2001, yeah. Yeah. Baten's wearing Cartier's with, with a turban on and holding, <laughs> right. and holding incense. Yo, that is like... Baten is so Detroit. Yeah, that, <laughs> that happened. Like... That happened way before any of these people thought about doing that. 
that was so Batin, and now it's like so Detroit that like all yeah, those things like... would be like one person <laughs> would do all those things. Yeah, Batin had a collection, man. He had he had Cazelles and uh, Cartier frames, and but this is two th- like I said, two thousand one, two thousand two, man, and it's on the album cover. Like you can't mistake this. You know what I mean? And you know, just knowing that, and then, but if, but at the same time, speaking of the mentality of it, if you go back and listen to how suave he was, man, and how like glamorous he talked, like he, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Like it's a real lavish kind of statement, you know what I mean? And if you have it, you can, and you can show it, that's what they're going to do. They're going to show it every time. That was some good stuff by Tim, man. So yeah, all you, uh, Cardi people, you can thank uh, Titus Glover for showing you the way. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Yeah, man. Uh, the 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 album cover stuff, man. That's that's one thing that I never thought I would get uh, caught into, like um, or pigeonheld into, self inflicted because it's where I wanted to stay. Uh, but it's something I never thought of, man. I always wanted to do movie posters. Like I always had this concept of doing like, you know, when you go to the movies, well, you don't go to the movies now because we can't, but <laughs> you know, when you go to the movies and you see big displays, yeah, yeah. Those, like stuff like that was like mind blowing to me um, because it would still match the DVD cover and the movie poster, but there would be like the DVD cover, the poster and the display and billboard would be all from the same elements, but different like structures of it. Yeah. So it'd be slightly different. Maybe it's different photo from the same photo shoot or something like that, but it'll, you know, it'll be the same thing. And it's like, man, that is amazing. And it, it always like, that was one thing that was always stunning to me was, uh, was that. Um, so yeah, but I, I, I kind of did the reduced part of it and kept it to CD covers. <laughs> so, you've, so you've always been somebody who, and we were talking about this on the phone the other day, um, where you're almost like a fly on the wall to a lot of things in Detroit, Detroit hip hop history and whatnot. You observed a lot, you know, what were some of the, like the biggest lessons about, you know, just Detroit hip hop and about how, how this thing kind of moves that you learned over all those years? Um, man, one of the one of the a couple of the bigger things that I that I've learned and and watched was um, the back end side, like the business side, the marketing side, the how to put this stuff together and make it work with the rest of the race um, in the industry. Uh, I got a lot of that stuff, like I mentioned, Wajid. Uh, Cause he, he, he has a, he has a, he has a very structured mind and he's an artist. So yeah. with those two blended, um, you know, me at 16 years old at the time, I guess, uh, is when we started skinny boys graphics, I was 16, 17, something like that. But just watching how he did things, man. Um, I got a lot from that. I got a whole lot from that actually, as far as, uh, like the first, uh, let's say the first uh, Slum Village cover to Volume One. That that whole cover is a Kinko's run. Like that's uh, printouts on uh, label paper, cut out uh, label, like everything. But 
and he he got it down to the circular seal. There's a little circle, like a one inch diameter circle seal that yeah. closes the tape that has the SV logo. Well, not it's not the logo; it just says SV on it. But that seals the tape. Just the whole concept of how to make this different, because uh, with a with a normal cassette, you had a J card that goes inside the cassette like an insert, of course. And it's called a J cart because from the side it forms a J if you look at it from the side. Yeah. So instead of doing that, which would be the standard concept, he took a blank uh, cassette case and put a sticker on top of it, cut out to the size of the case, yeah. which was the cover. So the cover wasn't something you could remove because it was a sticker stuck on top of it. And then on the inside, there's this card card thing, like a business card that looks like a menu but it's the playlist. So you have this card that you can take out and it's only, it only has the playlist, not the cover on it because the cover is a sticker on the front. Right. Then on the actual cassette, there's cassette labels. So there's two sticker labels on the front and the back that are also printed at Kinko's (laughs) and put on this thing. And then it's sealed with the little clear sticker. So watching that uh, made me really fight to, make anything happen you know what i mean like just you know against the grain type of uh thinking at that point because i'm like oh man like there is no structure or uh not structure but there's no way to do creativity there's no no direction for it there's no guideline or recipe for it you know what i mean like you do it however you feel appropriate with whatever you're doing it with like um or for so there's no way so seeing that and then watching the follow-ups like we worked on uh like uh qd uh quite delicious cassette and with that one it was like a step up because we ordered the the actual the inserts which were j cards and then we still did the uh kinko's run for the the print for the uh the cassette the actual on cassette labels which were purple okay but the actual cassette was yellow so it's like (laughs) So, and the yellow and the purple, the, the, the label for the cassette being purple, going on a yellow, uh, all yellow cassette, match the lights from the photo on the cover, which were taken at Trapper's Alley down in Greektown. So it had yellow and purple lights and stuff. It just, it was like the most weird way to watch this stuff happen in a DIY kind of way. You know what I mean? So right. it's like, like, man, there's no real way to, you know do this man you just do it however you feel appropriate for whatever you're doing it for <laughs> i watched that and then um i watched uh rj rice um with with a lot of the slum stuff so rj would uh call me up to the the office mario come up here man i need you to look at something <laughs> so, come on man there. come on come on mario yeah. Come on, Mario. Come on, I just need you to look at something funny. I need you to so look. Come on, come on. Can you come out today? Come on. Yeah, I go up there, man, and he he showed me like the uh, the Detroit Deli cover or uh, some athletic Mike League stuff or you know whatever was being worked on at the time. Right. What you think about this, Mario? Like, I think it's dope, Jay. Are you just saying that because I'm asking you? <laughs> <laughs> I was doing like uh that that i mean to be honest that time that that whole time kind of pissed me off because i'm doing so much hands-on consultation work when i could just actually be doing the cover work you know what i mean so 
And there were some buns ass covers during that time. Yeah. <laughs> so that time, yeah, that time was a struggle, and I was only, I was only doing it. That, that that's when, uh, that's when dedication and loyalty are like a gift and a curse, because it's like, uh, these are my brothers, man. So I gotta make sure they stuff look right. And but I'm not, I'm not really equipped to to think business wise. You know what I mean? So I'm kind of like giving away my time. Right. You know. Um, for the sake of those relationships we spoke about, <laughs> but yeah, that's, uh, I, I, I did, I did learn a lot, um, from, from RJ with, in regards to that stuff, which is, uh, which is getting it right. You know what I mean? Just even though that's subjective, but <laughs> yeah, but taking the time to get it right, because it it has to be seen. And then once you open the gates and it's out there, it's out there. You don't pull it back and redo it. It's out there. So you got to get it right. You know what I mean? And um, that's the reason why I was saying like, I trash, I trash stuff a lot, man. So when people see album covers come from me, that might be the, the fourth version they see, you know what I mean? And I'll act, of course I'll act like it's the first. Just <laughs> like, Oh yeah. I just, I just, I just, yeah, I just knocked that out. man. I just I knocked that out last night. You know, I was even half asleep. <laughs> Yeah, I was taking a shower, man. I just <laughs> I did while I was taking a shower. Shoot, shoot. <laughs> Yo, what's um, what's some of the worst album covers that you look look back and you're like, uh, I really wish I didn't do that. Ooh, I can name one that I already know you. You don't. <laughs> That's that the, the house shoes I got next. Oh, with the gun outside, with the with the arcade, yeah, the arcade gun. I hated that cover. <laughs> I, no, I take uh, take it back, take it back. I loved that cover when I first did it because it was funny, right? Not because it was dope, because it was funny. I loved it, and at that time, funny is what I was going for because at that time, you got to think, you got King Gordy over here, you got you know, saying so. I'm like gimmick. I'm I'm, I'm with the gimmicks. I'm with. <laughs> King Gordy, I'm with Fat Killers. I'm, you know, I'm yeah. so like, oh man, this is funny. So then I look back at it, and I'm like, that wasn't really funny, man. <laughs> <laughs> that pretty much sucked. I hated that one. I hated the uh, the Black Milk and Fat Ray one. Okay. I hated that cover. Uh, I loved it when I first did it, and I loved it when I first thought it. Not when I first did it, but when I first had the concept of how I was going to do it. They came yeah. over to my mom's house um, and we shot the photo in her storage in the in the basement of her apartment building in the storage area. And I was like, oh, man, it's going to be dope. It's like these pipes and the HVAC system and it looks all weird. And then I did it and I was like, oh, man, that, that sucks. <laughs> but, you know, you got to follow through with it. So I was like, ah, oh, that sucks. That sucks. Um. That sucked. What else sucked? There's, there's some sucky ones out there, man. Jeez. You put me in a pickle. <laughs> <laughs> when when you're you're sort of when you've become this, you know, the person who's helped out so many people with, you know, packaging their product, you know, these album CDs and stuff. And how you know, how do you sort of you know, what's the creative process usually like? Because, you know, I definitely, you know, had some experience where people want something, but they don't really know, 
like other ideas they don't really know the kind of ins and outs of making that happen so what's sort of the back and forth with you know trying to get people to really understand what needs to be done uh well the the first thing is to find out if if they're scared to spend money or not like you know what i mean like if they if they actually have a concept of what stuff costs yeah because people you know there was a there was a there was a long period of time where people were coming to me because they wanted after they saw uh the jay dilla welcome to detroit cover i didn't do that by the way um i don't want people to right (laughs) but yeah after they saw that um it was a it was a digi pack i think it was like a six panel digi pack and then it folded and it had a a magnet closure so there was a magnet that closed it and then it went inside of a of, of a of another sleeve and people come to me with these ideas to do stuff like that without understanding this is manufactured this isn't a standard digi pack right this is created just for this project so you know you got to kind of like kind of walk people through the process of you just can't say i want this and think that it's going to cost the same as a jewel case cd yeah. insert situation so once once we get a a picture painted with their budget i know where i can go and where i can't go with it so i don't try to i don't try to i'm not like a like a real estate agent where they show you these fantastic homes that they know you can't afford just to reel you in to make you compromise your budget for you know what i mean so if people if people have a budget of whatever they have i find out what's safe in that and only present that you know what i mean because i i know that a lot of these artists don't have a lot of extra money because they're i know they're doing it on their own you know what i mean so to me it's kind of i'm not in the the take advantage game you know what i mean or the so i try to i try to respectfully stay real close to what people can realistically do you know what i mean even with um even with a lot of my services now man like i i'll tell people like you know, like if it's somebody close to me and I understand, here's a, here's one thing. Okay. This is, <laughs> this is one thing that I know we all go through as creatives. When with creatives with the uh, clients, I'll say you have some clients that have the big stacks of money that they keep with them and they have the Cardi's and they drink the Rose and stuff. Those are the ones that you'll always have the hardest times with. Um, those are the ones who, you know, they want to counter everything that you mentioned price-wise. And then you have the person that you know for a fact is having a hard time paying their cell phone bill. But for whatever reason, this is the person who will come up with whatever price you give them without trying to, you know, right, right. come up with a different price. Like they, they I can tell somebody, hey, this is going to cost this much. All right, man, I'll get it to you. And they'll figure out how to do it and they'll do it. And then the other person with all with the with the excess money to spare, oh man, you can't you can't do it for this much or you can't. I was like, this sucks, man. This whole, <laughs> this whole thing sucks. But yeah, man, I try to really, I try to, I try to. But that comes through connection too. That comes through uh, like the 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 friendship part, the knowing this person, this person opening up. You can read that situation. You know what I mean? So the people who I know don't have it or aren't close to, you know, their dreams. I I definitely work with them and I'll, I'll try to create solutions for them to 
do it a doper way or if they can save money you know what i mean like like dude you don't need to do uh a thousand a thousand cds right now do do 300 and use some of the other other money for posters and flyers or whatever well people don't do that now but you know that that would be an ideal suggestion just things that i know could help them out you know what i mean so try to come up with different stuff um it's like that with like video work too man like so I, you know, we haven't spoke on it, but I, you know, do video work and I try to, it's, it's real. It's so hard to work with people, man. Like it's very, very hard to work within people's expectations because of the saturated market. So you have, you have the person that just got out of college or around that age who um, they catch a whiff of what's going on. And because of the, the, the turn of times and stuff, all these technology companies, Canon and um, all these computers and stuff make these back when I first started shooting, doing photography, my first film camera cost uh, $1,500. You know <laughs> what I mean? And it's like, now you could get a digital camera for $300 or whatever, decent enough to do something with, you know what I mean? Yeah. And the same with computers. Like they're so dirt, like everything is so dirt cheap and they come with so much. So you got computers coming coming with editing software and all this stuff. So it becomes a hustle for the newcomer person. You know what I mean? So that becomes a fight when it when it turns into me having to not compromise myself for what I know I'm capable of doing to try to stay in a race with somebody who just decided that they wanted to do this. And it's like, dude, I've come on, man. I've I've literally been doing this before you were born and those years add up to value. You know what I mean? Like that adds on to my value. It should yeah. never depreciate because I'm learning more and I'm rightfully doing a better job as I get older with it. You know what I mean? So it should never de have to depreciate, but because of all this, it has to depreciate. And it's like, ah, Right. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I want to, like, I want to, I, I want to get all these, I want to get all the graphic designers, photographers, video editors in one room and kind of have a seminar and just tell them, just explain to them that if they didn't like, say for instance, I charge a thousand dollars for a logo, right? They charge $50 for a logo. Okay the only reason it's hard for me to make a thousand dollars off of a logo is because they're charging $50, but they're probably doing the same amount of work as me, uh, time-wise and effort-wise, in which case they should be charging a thousand dollars a logo. And at that point, the consumer wouldn't have a choice, but to pay a thousand dollars for a logo. Yeah. But because you're giving them this very, very low choice, that cuts me out. You know what I mean? Instead of, especially with uh, video editors, video directors, things like that, $200 for a video. Blows my mind, right? <laughs> and the thing that blows my mind about it with a lot of them is they're doing decent work. Like they're doing, you know, like yeah. it should be way more than, I'm like, dude, like you should charge. I I paid I've been on shoots where I've paid somebody $200 just to do lights or, you know what I mean? Right. Or catering or makeup or like you're charging $200 for the whole thing. Like I wouldn't even 
that's that's the cost that it takes for me to unload and load equipment. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> but because they're doing that, it makes me feel like they don't understand their worth and the the talent of it. You know what I mean? So yeah, there's like, there's a lot of that going on in in all sorts of artistry. You know, where yeah, there's people that don't know their worth and they're or they're just trying to straight up undercut other people. You know, and everybody should be charging more because that's what their, their talent is worth. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think they're, I don't think they're undercutting. I, I really think it's more of a case where they don't understand their worth. Yeah. yeah there's, what, yeah, there's a lot of people that just don't understand their worth. And like sometimes, and yeah, they might, they might have a lot, they might be doing a lot of work, but that's because they're talented and they have a low price, you know? Mm-hmm. They, you know, they could charge more, maybe lose some clients, but they would have more time to themselves. Yeah, exactly. So if you're doing, it's, it's the concept of doing 30 videos for a hundred dollars versus doing one video for $3,000. Like it might take you a lot longer to find that one client at $3,000, but in that time you have, you know, like you're not breaking your face to edit all day and all <laughs> night, these other 30 videos, you know what I mean? Right. You're you're scoping out finding this one that's worth it. Um and besides that, just the just the low ball end of like the 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 low end of editing, I would say. Like I charge like uh like let's say seventy five dollars an hour just to throw that out, right? A nice edit is gonna take ten hours. So just on an edit alone, that's seven hundred and fifty dollars. That's that doesn't involve the eight hours, eight plus hours of shooting which should also be I'll throw a number of $75 out an hour. So you're, you're, you know what I'm saying? Like you're not even fitting in the low standard of things. And it, you know, that part is aggravating. I, and I get that with, um, I gave somebody a price for, uh, for a single cover. Cause of course that's real popular now. Like the single art, like people, yeah, that's all they release now are singles. Uh, and I gave somebody the price of uh, my price for that. And they're like, man, I, I, I get, I'd I get videos done for that price. And I'm like, why? <laughs> like, who's doing this? <laughs> Which makes me think. So in a, in a world of, uh, like if I was a, if I was a part of the Navarro cartel, I would, <laughs> instead of me trying to lowball people, I would hire these people who are doing videos for $200 and still charge a very low price of $500 and not have to do anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I can very, I can very well like find some, some, some designers that'll do single covers for $35 or however much they're doing them for at my price on. And I'd never have to do design work again at the, at the rate that these designers are going. Because people still come to me, uh, I still have very frequent, a very frequent uh, workload. You know what I mean. So I can put all this stuff off on people, but it'll never work like that because people want my work. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so throughout all these years since you first entered the, you know, the Detroit hip hop scene, you know, <clears throat> going into today, you know. How do you feel like the sort of the brand of Detroit hip hop, the look, 
the whole package of of Detroit hip hop has evolved during those times? Um, it's a it's a it's a two way street, man. I feel like it's half and half. Like I feel like half of it has uh has uh just turned out to be blah because <laughs> these are the people who you know take their destiny in their own hands like i mentioned and they do all of their stuff because it's accessible now yeah uh, they don't you know they they'll ask me uh man what camera are you shooting with and it's like why <laughs> <laughs> like why why does that why does that ever matter you know um because they want to buy one for themselves that's the only reason they they're not grading you or evaluating you they want they want it for themselves so they can do it because they feel like the camera does the work and then when they get it and they realize the camera doesn't well they never realize the camera doesn't do the work which is odd to me because they don't see the difference in quality so <laughs> right they, they end up doing stuff on their own and they think it's just as good just because they have the same equipment yeah what you edit what you edit with and it's like i edit with lightroom all right sweet so i need to get lightroom like it's not going to make a difference, <laughs> you know, but this is what they, this is what they think. So they do that and they carry on. And then that side of the fence kind of depletes the other side. I feel like picked up uh, a lot, man, and, and became its own world of, of, um, of art, man, of visual art. Like, because while there's like these overnight, I can do it on my own um, hustler style designers and photographers and stuff. There's also overnight actual artists, you know what I mean, who just never had a chance to have that influence. But because it's so popular now, like because everybody's a street artist, there's a lot of street artists because everybody's a muralist or, you know, some type of designer or something. It it doubles the odds of influence, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it, it, it makes more of a crowd that could possibly influence other people. So some people catch an actual influence and become, they realize, you know, that part of themselves in, in truth. So it's not a, it's not a hustle or just, you know, I, I caught a bug of what people are doing. So I want to do it too. Yeah. It's them actually realizing themselves and they, they, they tap into it early and they become real good at it. So like I said, it's like half and half, it's half the other story. Then it's half that where you have actual artists blossom blossoming from experiencing other artists so it's a good thing and a bad thing like you know i think it i think it's working man um i think people are way more i mean just in general man because of times and social media and stuff and accessibility people are more they feed off of themselves so the more they can do stuff um like like back in our days we couldn't just record a song because it took uh, $15 an hour to record a song. Yeah. We had to pay studio time and wait for a studio session to be free. And, you know, like stuff like that. Right now, people can just record a song. So the more they do this stuff, the more it becomes practice, the more practice makes perfect, the more it becomes contagious for them to continue do it. Like, you know, it becomes like a continuous act because they're feeding themselves yeah. themselves constantly. You know what I mean? So it's uh, inhale, exhale type of exercise where they can cultivate what they're doing and, you know, really get it polished, man. Like even if they mess up, they're messing up 
at their own leisure, you know, so <laughs> yeah, they, they got a chance to perfect it. You know what I mean? We didn't really have that chance. We had to pay to mess up even, you know what I mean? Or, or yeah, you had line. to like, you had to learn everything that you're going to do in the studio beforehand and hope that when you get into the studio, you remembered everything that you uh, already like learned yeah. like at home. It's hard to, it's hard and it's hard to polish like that. Like it's hard to, really you know sharpen your skills when you have to like when there's segments in between um effort and result you know what i mean because like even with photography like right now i can take if i had you know if i have my camera with on my on me i can take a picture right now of this screen of you and get it just right by looking at the monitor and making you know resetting something because it wasn't right the first time as opposed to us shooting a 24 roll of 400 speed uh, Ilford film and not knowing what, what any of the photos look like until we get them developed. You know what I mean? So it's like, we got to shoot blind for, and at that time I was charging, uh, I was char I remember I was charging a hundred dollars a roll. So I would shoot like rolls of 24, which is unheard of at a hundred dollars when now you can shoot a photo shoot and have like 500 pictures and like, uh, 10 minutes you know what i mean <laughs> right. but at that time you had to kind of have a concept of um you know like oh the sun's right here or you know i used to shoot with a light meter so i knew you know how to set stuff and um but still knowing what the what the what the shot came out like wasn't at my leisure just to look at the screen and get it right i had to kind of have go in there with full confidence that i know how to take a picture and do full photo shoots with 10 rolls of film at a hundred dollars a piece and not waste this person's a thousand dollars. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. And then I couldn't get it right until uh, a day later or two days later, whenever the photo lab feels like they can have my film developed. And then when I got up there, I have to kind of, so this is, this was a fun exercise because I would take a, a little notebook and write one through 24. So I would like write my frame settings and kind of like know where I'm shooting. So I'm shooting against the sun. There's a, a shadow casting right here or whatever. So I know I'm shooting this at, you know, this, uh, this shutter speed at this aperture. I know what speed film I'm shooting and I would write down each frame. And then when I got my contact sheets back, I can, kind of look at what I was doing to kind of grade or see what I needed to do different. Yeah. Like you don't have to, like, that's not even a, that would blow people's mind if they have to do that right now. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. people, will, people will stop doing photography right now if they had to do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, I mean, it's like I said, it's a gift and a curse. It's a, it's a curse because it steps on our feet, but it's, and it's a gift to the people who are really doing this for the, the passion of doing it because it helps them sharpen their blades that that much better. You know what I mean? Yeah. While they're right there, they can sharpen it. They don't have to wait for the mistake. And I, you know, it's, it's the same as everything, I guess, man. Um, like, yeah, everything, making the music or designing the cover, editing photos, doing whatever, like some of the stuff that they have in Photoshop trips me out because first of all, I was working on Photoshop with Photoshop one. <laughs> uh, then it was Photoshop 3.0. Then you know before even uh, the the CS stuff that people thought was new. Uh, <laughs> been on Photoshop forever, man. But 
some of the actual camera stuff that I was doing was like um like burning and dodging photos and stuff like that, which are just basic color correction things in Lightroom and Photoshop now. But knowing how to do that on film or knowing how to blur uh, film using um, extra UV lenses and Vaseline and stuff. And to you know, just to, just to blur photos or make spot blurs or um, using scratch tint, like a window tint, scratch tint in front of the <laughs> lens, just to make different effects. Like doing stuff like that, to me, that was like everything. You know what I mean? And now it's like technology kind of takes away everything or things that are special and make it not as not as special or fun. It's convenient, but it's not as it's not right, as right. fun. <laughs> Definitely not as fun, man. Before we get out of here, um, is there anything about the you know Detroit hip hop in regards to the you know the look, the brand, the marketing that you know maybe we didn't talk about that you want to add to this? Um. Not so much, man, because I think I think we cover some I think uh Detroit when I say we I'm talking about Detroit. Um I think we cover a lot of bases when it comes to like we mentioned like the different the different genres within Detroit. Like it's yeah so many different spaces still to this day. Like that wasn't just the mid nineties things. Like like right now we still have super MC and payroll. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and to say that both of them are from Detroit is so far fetched. You know what I'm saying? Or, you know, like uh, everybody, man. Like, there's so many different people. Like, yeah, you got KDZ right here, and then you have Name Tag, or you know, <laughs> or you know, it's 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 so many different sounds. Um, I don't know. I think the one. I think the one thing would be the support part. I think that has a lot to do with uh, the the marketing of it. Like, I don't think the the branding is that far off, but branding is kind of obsolete if it's not seen. And for us to be seen, we have to support it and push it. You know what I mean? So, I think the marketing part could could use a a lot of help, man, um, internally. So, with us working with us. Um, you know, I think I think there's a little segregate, like there's it's segregated, man. Like there's uh there's some separations happening in Detroit hip hop that should not exist. Um, where I look at it as I always call it sides of the fence. So you have the 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 boom bap hip hop backpack side of the fence, then you have the street dope boy side of the fence. Right. And I don't think that they need to work separately. I think if I think that's also a joint effort, man. Like, I think they need to find a way to, to bridge that gap. Um, it's bridged in certain areas, but the certain areas that it's bridged in, it's not that those aren't really the separated areas. You know what I mean? So when you, when you speak of like uh stretch money doing albums with Nick speed, they're from the same cloth anyway. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? Stretch money's a, he's a, he's a, he's a backpack MC. Like he's, a straight MC. So it's big Herc. So it's seven, the general. So, it's, you know what I mean? But when you speak of some of the, the other, the other, uh, um, candidates in the race, man, like you got some real dope 
like some real to me real dope artists on that side of the fence like uh like payroll like i think payroll has like some spectacular charisma you know what i mean yeah no he's and he's, I, he's one that, of my favorite mcs from detroit yeah and that matches some of the hip-hop side of the fence uh people too you know what i mean producers as well like not to, not limited to just mcs but producers as well and i think some of those like joined efforts can like actually push each other man you know what i mean like i feel like if if the hip-hop side of the fence heard about the dope boy side of the fence they would actually like it you know what i mean like if if they if they gave if they gave it a chance both sides vice versa you know what i mean i think i think there's i think one of the things with uh like the hip hop side of uh, things that kind of is off putting is like the style of a lot of the rappers on the street side. Um, yeah. There is, you know, you got like the the you know, you know, a lot of the cats from the you know the uh, um, Doughboy Cash Out crew that you know they're really good rappers, you know, and yeah, I think they good. would be able to, um, you know they would sound great with these hip hop cats, but then you have a lot of the street rappers who have this weird offbeat style that is really off putting to the (laughs) hip hop guys. And, but at the same time, the hip hop guys think all the street rap guys rap like that. Right. I mean, besides, besides even thinking, even thinking that, um, that's no reason for separation. Right. Exactly. I mean, uh, if, and I feel like if that's the case, why there there should be a producer in place to say, yo, let me work with some of your vocals. You know what I mean? Or, yeah. you know, work with some of these people to the point where, okay, now we just tightened up that loose end. Now it's perfect. You know what I mean? Because there's room for, for all of it. You know what I'm saying? And um, to, be, to be honest, man, a lot of times there's, there's more – from what I see, and this is from the outside looking in, man, like this is me looking at both sides of the fence. A lot of times what I see, man, is I see more of a, I see more of a cockiness on the, the backpack side of things. Um, our side, that's the side that I'm from. That's yeah. the side that I was groomed in. That's, that's where all my, my people are. You know what I'm saying? But I see a lot of us uh, resist or deflect that partnership. You know what I mean? And on the other side, I see a lot of the, the street cats want to adapt to that partnership, but they don't know how to go about it because we're resisting against it. We're like, we're resisting, you know what I'm saying? They and I think there's a lot of cats you. from like the hip hop side of things that feel like there's a, a circle that they can't break into. Like they, they think they, they, like they think they won't be accepted by the street cats. Yeah. But at the same time, the street cats are like, I actually do want to work with you. Yep. There's like a weird, there's a, like a weird, like yeah, myth. They're just telling, they're telling themselves. No. Yeah. There's like a weird <laughs> myth where like the hip hop cats are like, Oh, I would like to, you know, work with, you know, that circle that like hell of a is producing, but they're not going to let me in. Oh, that I mean, both sides of that would be so great, man. Like I would, <laughs> I would love to 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 hear uh, just hearing just hearing what Hell of Us been doing with a uh, Sada Baby, man. Is oh, dude, yeah, amazing. exactly. Like, dude, this is so great. This is very very good. But 
I would love to hear like I would there's a number of MCs from our era from Lush Lounge or wherever that I would love to hear like collaborate with that side of the fence and vice versa man like I was uh I think I was telling you man like they're gonna be nuts man and I we keep speaking on payroll but that's like an immediate like yeah. go-to in my mind but you know just hearing like somebody like a payroll work with like a black milk or somebody like that that'd be phenomenal like very good you know what I mean <laughs> like because we aren't we we just don't I don't know, man. A lot of them don't want to accept it because a lot of us, we challenge each other with uh, art, with style, patterns, yeah. uh, what you come in with. You know what I'm saying? So, And I don't think that side of the fence is that much worried about style, patterns, what you come in with. They just got something to say. Right. They, say <laughs> they just got a lot of shit to say, you yeah, know, whether it, it out, makes sense it or not, so and they want to put it all out. <laughs> and it comes out so good, man. I was telling, I was telling somebody, man, like, how loaded uh, T Grizzly is with metaphors. Like T T Grizzly has more metaphors than anybody, and it's so interesting to listen to because I'm I'm listening to like like man, this this is a very witty guy because this stuff is yeah. very good. Like he's saying some real good stuff. It's line for line metaphors, and it's very interesting to listen to. And some of these people just got like I was uh telling um Fat Father yesterday day before yesterday about we were talking about sada baby uh he asked me he was like man how you feel about uh he's like that's that's basically that's pretty dope man with uh with oba oba rolling and um you know he signed to big sean's label yeah i was like yeah that's super dope man like that's crazy dope and we were talking about like people who fit in that kind of zany style because he has a very zany style too sada baby but that's not limited to King Gordy. Yeah. Who I can very much so hear Sada Baby and King Gordy being equally outlandish on the same song together. <laughs> exactly. Like they, exactly. They're just as like, they're equally wild. You know what I mean? Like it's the same person just from a different side of the fence. But yeah, man, it's, it, I, I, I wish it would. That's one thing that I wish would happen, man, because I feel like that'll strengthen the, the internal marketing effort and you know like uh push out the sound a lot uh a lot more because it'll have more strength behind it you know and I, I mean? and I feel like on the street side of things they've been doing better with with having unity within each other because yeah. there was definitely a time when like you know like the team Eastside cats and the doughboy cash out cats were beefing with each other now they're doing songs together and they're dope as hell yeah Yep. And that's, I mean, that's all it's about to me, man, is you doing music, man, like do music. And, and if, if this person next to you is doing music, maybe y'all can do music together. And if y'all don't, that doesn't mean that you don't have to, or you have to knock his music down. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, but that's, uh, in, internally, man, I think that's one of our bigger battles. Uh, do you think, do you think this like sort of chasm that's always existed between the, the sides of hip hop has always been, has been almost like an environmental thing because like when you think about like the Detroit area, it's a very segregated area to begin with, you know, Detroit is heavily black, but then you have, you have Dearborn, which is the biggest Arab, 
you know, section outside the, the Middle Southwest East. Southwest, and then Hamtramck. And then you have, like, Hamtramck, which is its own little thing. But then in Detroit, you have the East Side and the West Side, who, who have classically have their own styles, you know? Mm-hmm. So do you think it's just always been sort of, like, ingrained into the people of Detroit just to, like, find a sort of separation to begin with you know there there i mean yeah there's there's definitely a separation for instance when i was when i was little uh i don't even sound cool saying when i was little but when i was was younger um when i was younger man like the whole crossing john r or woodward felt like bad news you know what i mean like going from the west side to the east side felt like ooh, i'm about to go to the east side like, oh, I'm stepping into the danger zone, you know, but that was the mindset of it. Or don't go to Southwest, you know, like. Or, you know, cross an eight mile. You know, I grew yeah. up right off of eight mile and that eight mile, that eight mile divide was heavy, yo. Yeah. Like that was heavy, you know, you know, the, the Metro Detroit area was super segregated, you know, and it just, you know, I feel like to a certain extent in everything that we've done, there's always been segregation that happened you know it doesn't matter how much you chop it down segregation always happened yeah and that plays into just just what we were talking about about uh the the united states like the whole country um so with that being trained behavior with everyone from deep from detroit because that is trained behavior don't go over here or you can't do this or you can't yeah you can't go here um you know, when you're in Dearborn, take the back streets, don't drive, you know, there's rules for every single area of Detroit. And um, with that, because we stay away uh, from the east side, uh, when, you know, when I was younger, we stayed away from the east side. We never knew how the east side operated. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? So we couldn't adapt to how they dressed, how they thought, how they, you know, whatever they did. And them vice versa with us, you know what I mean? Like they didn't, they didn't want to come over to the West side because the West side dudes were bougie or you know, <laughs> right, or, right. or preppy acting or whatever. So we both had re- uh, reasons for not uh, partying with each other. And that kind of uh, took away from our knowledge of each other, which made us act different. And that's, you know, I feel like that's the reason for that part of it. You know what I mean? Um, I always looked at, and this is crazy because I look at it the same way to this day and it's, there's no truth behind it, but I just feel this way. I feel like the East side is like, I feel like the sun uh, turns down a little bit on the East side and it's, not <laughs> as, and it's not as bright. Like when you, when I, when I drive to the East side, I feel like the sun just turned down a little bit. And I'm like, that's the dumbest thought to have. You know what I'm saying? Well, you but- know what, man? When I think about that too, <laughs> it kind of makes sense. <laughs> I feel like people would say that. Like, it makes kind of sense. <laughs> that's the thought I had since I was a kid, man. Like, it's irrational, oh, but it, at the same time, it makes sense. Yeah, it's the it's, it's the dumbest, not making any sense thought ever, man. <laughs> but it makes sense. And that's, <laughs> and I can't stop myself from thinking that because that's all I ever thought since I was a kid. You know what I mean? And it's probably because I've had, as a kid, I probably had that one experience where I may have went to the east side on a low cast day and it really was shady over there. So that's all I built my concept of the east side off of. 
and every time I go over there, no matter if the sun is out, beaming bright, I feel like it's darker than it is on the west side. <laughs> it's so dumb. Man. It's so like, dumb, but at the same time, it's like, you know what? It kind of makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody would understand that, man. But yeah, Detroit is definitely segregated, man. And that plays into so much. Um, so, so much, man. Those those dudes have a different behavior, man. Like the East side has a different behavior than the West side. Southwest has a different behavior. Highland park has a different behavior. You know, everybody has a different way of doing things. Yeah. And it, it, you know, some of that, a lot of that stuff reflects, um, East, the East side, the East side rap is, is, is liable to be more grimy than the West side rap. The West side rap is liable to be more flaunty. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Uh, you know, in appearance too, you know, you might see, uh, the, the East side cat might never come out of his corner clothes. He might have quadruple the amount of money in his pocket, but he's still dirty cause he's still making that money. And then the West side cat has a fourth of what, you know, that person has, but he just looks like he has more, you know what I mean? Right. Um, that's what we always saw. I always had this idea in my head too, that, um, West Side girls were more light skinned than East Side girls. It was the weirdest stuff. <laughs> None of this stuff makes sense. None of it makes sense. Which in it's it's dumb. <laughs> so, but it makes all the sense in the world for like why things are 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 you know exist in regards Side, to West Detroit. Side. I want to I want to hear some I want to hear some uh some some East sider thoughts about the West side. Maybe you need to, you need to talk to, talk to Mar Marv one and, and see what, what some of his thoughts about West side, what West siders. Are. <laughs> I'm just going to, yo, I'm just going to have like a segment of like shorts where I just ask, like, you know, if you're from the East side, what do you think about the West side and vice versa? Yeah. All stereotypes. Like. <laughs> We're just gonna have, I'm going to have a stereo. I'm just going to have like stereotype shorts of like Detroit hip hop and whatnot in Detroit. <laughs> yep, yep. Okay. Uh... Be before we get out of here, um, do you have any just final thoughts about Detroit hip hop in general, the history of it, what it's become, you know, what's your final thoughts about Detroit hip hop? Um, I'm out of, the, I, I haven't, so as you know, I, I live in, uh, live in Chicago now. So I've been out of Detroit since 2010. So I can't really speak on the radio part of it. Yeah. I don't know what it's doing now, uh, fully. I don't even know what it's doing fully. Like I feel, <laughs> but I do feel like that's one of the stronger parts that could have always used a boost. Yeah. Um, support wise, you know. I feel like that's one of the one of the things. There are certain DJs back in the day, like Billy T and stuff, who who are really heavy into Detroit music, and they yeah, they man. When I was like when I was like a teenager before I um actually was going out to stuff, it was like it was like uh, it was like t people like TJ, you know, who were uh, who really was like I, I was learning about some Detroit hip hop through certain you know, guys like him, you know, cause they would sneak in to, you know, like that Detroit hip hop stuff, like on the mm -hmm. rap blast and stuff like that. Yeah. That was the, that was the way, man. Like, you know, you, every now and then you might hear 
uh, proof searching or something. Yeah, like yeah. Like, oh, like I remember. This is great. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is great. But yeah, man, I think um, I think bridging gaps, man, because I feel like we are so segregated and we're so used to that and accepting to that as being a way that we feel like that's how it's supposed to be. Yeah. So we don't break out of it. You know what I mean? And um, just being like, even in Chicago, like, you know, like I don't, I don't necessarily like being from Detroit. I feel like being from the Detroit music scene at that, I feel like Detroit music, if you grew up with that, then you're automatically spoiled and nothing else matters. No. Right? So I've been to like every place else and I've checked out every place else's music scene. And it's just like, dude, this, this completely sucks, you know? And it might not suck, but I'm so used to, it's kind of like with, uh, with, 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 with Andre 3000 and big boy, right? Yeah. Big, big boy is a very dope rapper, but he's standing next to Andre 3000. Who's just like, doesn't really give you that much of a chance to recognize big boy as being the dope, dope rapper that he is. Yeah. It's like that. Like, so I can go to like a hip hop spot, uh, downtown chicago and check out some of the acts and it's like yeah that's cool yeah and some of their elite artists to me i feel like are the the everyday artists that we have like the just pick them off the street you know what i mean yeah it's like <laughs> such a such a we just spoiled man like we got some very very good good mcs but we'll people will never know that because we're not being pushed internally you know what I mean? Like externally, I feel like that'll always work. Like people love Detroit. You know what I mean? But if they walk in and they, it's like watching a family fight or a family not getting along. Like you don't want to really hang out for the, for the family dinner. You know what I mean? But if you see that family, like pushing each other, you join in. So if, I feel like if we don't internally strengthen that part of it, then it's just going to keep on being the same repetitive system. And that's like, no matter how tight the branding is or, you know, the looks and all that stuff, if we're not really standing behind it, man, and collectively pushing it, you know what I mean? Every way it shouldn't be. First of all, it's too many record labels, independent record labels and situations that people have in Detroit when there should, you know, there could be one or two powerful machines if all yeah. the monies and not like brains got together and really did it right. There could be like a real system. You know what I mean? We have enough money with the with the people who's running around throwing money everywhere. We got enough money to, you know, put it, <laughs> put together a real machine. I feel like that's what Barack was. You know, I feel like Barack was the, the, the guiding light. Like that's where people want it to be. That's where Barack was the dream. I feel like it was like Motown. Like, oh shoot, I'm going up to Barack. <laughs> you know, right? Because he was, you know, say what you want to say about RJ. He was actually connected towards other things, you know, mm-hmm. and was able to get music to places that other people didn't weren't able to get it to. Yep, and the. Yeah, that's where I, that's where I don't really under, always understand like um, the the independent I can do this on my own mindset when it's like, can you? 
<laughs> or are you just able to say I have a record label and get a logo made and then think that you have a business? Like it's it's you know it's not that doesn't work like that. You know what I mean? But yes, CEO of the hottest label on the streets, the hottest label of the block. <laughs> And it's, you know, but, but, you know, and and this is the person who has enough money to actually pair up with five more people like himself and start a real situation. And they just don't think like that. You know what I mean? They don't think like that. Um, They got to, they don't want to, I don't want to push the K fresh movement because I have my own movement. Right. Is the mindset instead of just saying, yeah, I'll, I'll push the K-Fresh movement, and then K-Fresh could push my movement, and then we'll just have a movement somewhere down the line together and make it like a big movement. Yeah. You know, like, that's it's, it's so simple to me. Like, it's like strength in numbers, but the separation is what they're comfortable with, and that's all they understand because the concept of coming together and making it be like a forceful situation just – never happens and it's something that everybody talks about all the time you know what we it's the same speech with every anything else in the world basically what we need to do is it's like (laughs) it's like the most hot air speech man what we need to do is so right right man the branding like i said the branding could be as tight as possible i still care about it um i see a lot more people a lot more people caring about it I just wanted to kind of like uh, uh, share my story and where I came from and my reason for caring about it. Um, you know, mainly my my reason for caring about it mainly comes from the music side of things. I just think the music is the dopest in the in the world, which means that everything else needed to match. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I don't think it I don't think it would have ever made sense for. Um, a slum village or Royce to five, nine or whoever to have a cassette or CD out with a blank label with handwriting on it. You know what I mean? Or, or just a whack label for that, for that matter. Like I feel like it needs to be represented just as good as the, the product is like the packaging needs to match the product. And that's my, that's my whole spiel, man. That's like, that's my whole reason for sticking with it for as long as I have is because yeah, really because the music has been dope and that inspiring you know what i'm saying or else i would have found something else to do (laughs) and you've done and you've done so much good work for uh detroit hip-hop over all these years you know just you know been a lot of great you know very iconic covers for you know detroit for these great detroit projects that you know that you've been responsible for so you know thanks for uh you know coming on the the show and you know, sharing your knowledge, your experiences, you know, as we, you know, continue to document, you know, Detroit hip hop history. Yeah, man. Uh, anytime, man. Let me, let me know when you're ready for the, uh, the West side, East side stereotype segments. And- <laughs> so, you know, if anybody wants to go online to, you know, see what you've, you know, see what you do or what you're up to, where can they follow you online? Um, everything is my name, man. Like, uh, I don't really go by an alias or anything like that. So everything is Mario Butterfield. Uh, my website is Mario Butterfield. My Instagram is Mario Butterfield. You can just Google Mario Butterfield and you'll, 
you'll probably get what you want. So I'm not, you know, I'm, I, I am who I am. And <laughs> I am who I am, man. So thank you for listening to the Renaissance Soul podcast. Hosted and produced by myself, Kelly K. Fresh Frazier. Empowered by Anchor at anchor.fm slash renaissance soul. Renaissance Soul theme music provided by Steve O. You can find more of his productions at imsteveo.bandcamp.com. And that's E-Y-E-A-M-S-T-E-V-E-O.bandcamp.com. Renaissance Soul is available on all streaming platforms. Please rate and review on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. If you want to support Renaissance Soul, please consider pledging via Patreon at patreon.com slash fresh the word. Follow Renaissance Soul on social media on Instagram at Podcast and on Twitter at Pod. And join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash fresh the word. And for more information on Renaissance Soul, visit freshthepodcast.com. Thank you for listening and your support. Goodbye and good night. Renaissance, Renaissance. 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 Renaissance.